0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Frederick White about the verticals of power, sickovent syndrome, and how both arm organizations, with a special focus on Putin's Russia and the higher education context. Frederick White, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. It is so great to have you here, and uh, you are the most unique guest I've had to date. Uh, Dr. Frederick H. White is Professor of Russian and Integrated Studies. He's published seven books and more than 35 academic articles on Russian literature, film, and culture, and has published in the areas of Russian modernism, psychiatry and literature, as well as the economics of culture and post-Soviet cinema. Now, uh, listeners may be wondering, what in the world am I doing with a Russian professor on the podcast? Well, one of Fred's areas of expertise is uh, in Putin's Russia. And Fred and I have known each other for a long time, and uh, we've just been having some offline discussions about uh, sycophant syndrome, uh, verticals of power— and there's a lot of application to Putin's Russia and Fred being an expert in the area, I thought well, that this would be a really fascinating kind of interdisciplinary discussion to pull him in, have a great conversation as it applies, not only politically in, in, uh, in the Russian government, but also in a higher education context and uh, to organizations more generally, because this is certainly a problem that's not unique to Putin's Russia. Um, I also wanna add that uh, Fred, is a longtime administrator and executive in the higher education space, so while his background is not in the more traditional areas of HR and OD and and some of those types of areas, Fred has a lot of leadership experience and a lot of executive experience um, that also he brings to the table in terms of his perspective on things. Uh, and Fred, anything you'd like to add before we jump right on in?
1: Not really, other than the fact that I think that this issue of Putin and the vertical of power becomes even more acute. Um, Obviously, right before the pandemic, Putin was manipulating the situation, so he might be able to run for a fifth term as president. And I believe that part of the reason that he has to do that is due um, to the problems of a vertical of power structure that he's established. And so as we talked more and more, I thought this seemed to be the ideal moment to have this discussion
0: yeah great so let's let's start by defining what you mean well so we we need to define sycophant syndrome and what you know what it it means to be a, a sycophant within an organization towards a leader. We need to define vertical power uh, and then we can start going in more to how that manifests itself in putin 's russia um, so let's start with um, sycophant, certainly I, I was aware of the term, but i hadn't really thought about. Sycophant syndrome in terms of organizations prior to us having some discussion, um, though it's super applicable. Um, would you mind just taking a minute and, and describing that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, at least, kind of how we've discussed it in our own private conversations, and then certainly applicable to Putin. The idea here is that you're not looking for strong independent voices and leadership, shared governance, let's say. Um, what you're really looking for is a top down approach where uh, the person at the top makes decisions, and everyone below that uh, uh, then follows, um, in this case, what Vladimir Putin suggests. There isn't a lot of back and forth. There isn't a lot of um, um, alternative opinions. Uh, it's really a command structure, top-down command structure, um, where uh, those in the kind of lower parts of the of the vertical of power um have no free will, really, or decision-making uh, abilities, or even desire, maybe.
0: Putin is a great example of surrounding himself with with yes-men, right? So when we think of sycophants, we think of all these people who just stroke the ego, who who will just reinforce the, the power and authority of that, the head of whatever the organization or institution is. Um, you know, there's lots of synonyms for this term. Uh, but we've all seen it. We've we've seen the brown nosers, the suckups, the bootlickers, whatever term you want to use. Um, and it's it's usually quite frustrating and disgusting to everyone else who's on the outside looking in, observing this because they can see um, the inequities and in how people are treated based on actual competencies, actual merit. Um, people who are rewarded are the people who are the the, the suckups and the the yes men. Right? Um, thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, from Putin's perspective, um, and 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 I must say that this will be part of our discussion. But um, Putin's vertical of power evolved over time. So I think at first, really, uh, Putin was looking for what he would call loyalists. He was drawing from um, uh, folks in the military, folks in um, the FSB, which was the uh, follow-on from the KGB, so equal to our uh, CIA. Uh, FBI. Um, And these were folks who kind of spoke his language, saw the world in the way he did it. And when he really needed to kind of lock down on power to kind of reestablish power in the uh, end of the 1990s, and obviously into 2000, um, he would see this as as needing people he could depend on. The problem is, is that uh, the longer a vertical of power goes, I think it's less about loyalties to the leader and uh, it becomes much more kind of what you were defining the negative side of that, which is people are uh, less and less likely to oppose ideas or offer alternative ideas. Or, you know, we sometimes talk about disruptive thinking um, suggests some kind of level of disruptive thinking because it becomes clear over time that this uh, vertical of power is not simply about loyalty and, and, Competency, it's really about those who uh, maintain that line of power are the ones who continue to uh, benefit from it.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking more about this as we were having offline discussions before today, you know, but I I wonder I mean, sometimes I think the vertical of power that's set up um, is very much intentional and on purpose. Other times I'm not so sure leaders even fully recognize what they're doing when they're doing it until they start to see the consequences of it. Uh, and every, you know, it's human nature. We like to have people like us around us and we like to have people who think we're brilliant and agree with us. So, you know, there's nothing novel or new about that. So it's not surprising that leaders would often surround themselves, maybe unwittingly perhaps sometimes, uh, surround themselves with those types of people. Um, I know you have your, your thoughts and feelings about Putin's intentionality, you know, around setting up this vertical of power, I guess what I'm suggesting is outside of just his example, I I do think it's possible for, for naive, um, ego driven uh, leaders in organizations to, to do this, even though that's not actually their initial intention. And then we end up with groupthink um, and, and you just, you get caught in a bubble and nobody likes to think that they're caught in a bubble. They, every, you know, especially a leader who's been successful in their life, um, they have skills and competencies. They think there's a reason why they're in the position they're in. You know, the last thing they're going to be thinking is that like, I'm this incredibly sheltered bubble person in a bubble that doesn't have any outside perspective. And so it's hard for someone in that situation to recognize it when they're there, right? Unless they have a constant flow of disruptive thinking, like you just mentioned, to challenge them, to to help them get outside of, um, the status quo. Um, so I can think of so many examples in organizations I've worked with over the years where there's been some level of that dynamic happening where they don't even recognize that it, that they've sheltered themselves so much. Um, but because of that, they're just hindering themselves. They they don't have competent people below them um, who they can lean on. So they end up having to, to, to carry more and more of the load. Um, there, there's no succession planning because they don't, they're not preparing people and delegating to people below them. And their thinking is stale because they just continue along the same line that they've always been thinking. And everyone just keeps telling them they're brilliant. Um, so That's a huge problem.
1: Yeah, and I think where we see that uh, in particular, whether it's Putin's Russia or whether um, it, it's a, another organization, is if you are constantly uh, promoting from within, and if it seems that you no one understands your organization except for the people within, um, I think that's a, a, a bad sign right there. Um, um, you know, of course, if you're if you have a very uh, unique company with a very limited skill set, I can see where that is. But you know, something as big as let's say a university or uh, something like uh, running uh, uh, Russia, um, you should be able to be constantly kind of involving new and dynamic people and new and dynamic ideas. Um, One of the things that I uh, jokingly talk about with my students when we discuss Russia is that uh, it's this play called democracy, uh, Russian democracy, where um, the characters are all set and they really don't change. Um, you know, if you, if you uh, go to England, uh, and you kind of become aware of the English political system, and then you go away, and then you come back five or six years later, you have to relearn who all the people are, right? Who the ministers are, what positions they hold. With Russia, you can go away and come back and go away and come back. And it's the same people playing the same parts, right, which means there's no kind of new ideas in innovation. And I think in a similar uh, company structure, um, if, if, you, if, if you don't have any new ideas that are reaching the president of the com- company or the CEO, then, like you said, it becomes like either an echo chamber or a bubble, right, where the same ideas that seemed to work 10 years ago are still being lauded as innovative, where, in fact, they're 10-year-old ideas.
0: Right. And that's that's the context, too, where you also just start to start to see that uh, not only the recycling of these old decades old ideas, um, but you the inefficiencies of. Of just running things and you, you find yourself in meeting after meeting where you're just talking about the same thing over and over and over again and nothing's ever happening. Right. That's a super common problem. And I know you've experienced that much to your frustration in the past. Um, and I. I I would suggest that's actually not an uncommon problem. I think most organizations have to grapple with that to a certain extent. Um, and and the, that's why some leaders, when they're running a meeting, they'll actually, if they know, uh, particularly if you're in a culture that's kind of passive aggressive, or where people feel like they can't, um, they can't challenge, or you know, be, they, they perhaps feel like that will be seen as threatening um, to the, those in power. Um so for whatever reason they they won't speak up in a meeting they won't challenge they won't stretch they won't offer new ideas um, i've known leaders who have actually given someone the role in a meeting to be the challenger so prior to the meeting in preparation for the meeting, um, this person i'm thinking of will actually contact one of the people that will be at the meeting and say, "Your job is to push back on everything that we say, and people might give you know roll their eyes they might think you're being a jerk, whatever, I don't care. Your job is to make sure that you push on our thinking. Um, I love that. That takes a level of security, um, you know, from personality-wise from the leader to be open to that kind of pushback and also recognizing that when that happens, you know, they may be made to look stupid from time to time or, you know, they may realize that what they were thinking wasn't a great idea or it might be harmful for some reason they hadn't considered or whatever. Um, so there are ways to, to, to get out of the echo chamber to break free of the bubble. Um, you, you can formalize that. Um, but even, I would say even better than formalizing it by assigning someone to be the disruptor in the meeting, it's better if you can just have a culture of people recognizing that it's safe to share opposing opinions. Um, and when, when you find yourself in an organization where people don't feel like they can speak up, where your best people feel like they have to be quiet or their job might be in jeopardy, then that's the beginning of the end of innovation in that organization, organization. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, I think uh, again uh, with Putin and, you know, in other organizations, those people, the, the disruptors, the people who have, they're, they're not necessarily um, disrupting to be negative, right? They're seeing things differently or trying to innovate uh, they will either opt out, they will either leave the company or leave their leadership position. Um, or as you said, maybe they just learn to be quiet and sit there uh, on their hands. Um, and I think this is uh, part of the problem that we see now in Putin's Russia. You know, by now, Russia should be stable enough that Putin should be able to retire uh, and, and enjoy his billions of dollars. He's supposedly one of the richest uh, men in the world. Um, but but there 's no logical successor because he 's now uh, created this you know group of sycophants uh, as we 're defining them uh, or or people who who really no longer have the ability to innovate and lead um, and so you know again, whether it 's Russia or whether it 's an organization, a university, whatever um, um, getting rid of these people who might seem like they 're kind of difficult in meetings or raise. Uncomfortable questions; uh, those should be the people that you're cultivating for later down the line um, to either be leaders or at least help to recruit others who could become leaders. Um, otherwise, you have exactly what Putin is: is looking at you know uh, dying in office uh, in order to keep it running the way he wants it running. And I put that in you know air quotes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the insecure leader who feels threatened by people sharing different points of view right? Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's, it's not necessarily about being negative at all, but that's often how it's viewed by, by the leader because they're being challenged. Um, you know, they may be worried about losing face in front of um, others, whatever that, you know, specific dynamic or the reason, um, they're insecure about having opposing views. Um, the secure leader, the person who values um, diverse perspectives uh, will welcome that and they'll, they'll look for every opportunity to challenge other people, to challenge them, um, and have a, a really dynamic discussion. And I know you, both you and I have been in that situation many times where we've tried to be that voice and we've kind of been slapped down because of it. And it's it's frustrating, and there's, there's only so many times you can put yourself in that situation before you either decide I'm leaving the organization or you decide eh, I'm just done with this role, it's not worth the hassle. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then over time, what happens is over time, you have more and more of those people who are willing to speak up, fade away, and then you're just left with all the sycophants. That's what you were describing in Russia.
1: Right. And, and I think that um, you, you want to try to, as of course, um, surround yourself with good people. And if you, in fact, do that, my experience uh, as an administrator is that most of those people will then, if they are, in fact, really good, they will find other job advancements along the way. Uh, And so I'm always a bit suspect uh, of an organization that has the same people in the same positions uh, for, you know, decades. Um, Because my thought is, is those those really good, keen people who are looking to be leaders themselves or innovators themselves are going to move on. Right. And that's, that's no criticism of them. I mean, I've, i felt, um, like a lot of my job when I was an administrator was replacing good people. I was trying constantly kind of keeping my eyes open to if so-and-so moves on, who can I replace him or her with so forth and so on. And to me, at least, that's a, that's an indication that you have a good, strong, vibrant organization. Um, I I think when you have the exact same people in the exact same positions uh, for too long, um, then you have to question, are these people really pushing, you know, um, themselves? Are they pushing the organization? Um, And, you know, is it time, even though they may be completely competent, right, to look at a bit of a change, just to bring in new ideas, new innovations?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's definitely a value, of having that kind of rotation. So like within the higher education space for example, that's not an uncommon model where you rotate through leadership. So you have department chairs that rotate and they, you know at, at my univ- at our university, you know that's an every 3 year rotation. Now people chairs can get voted back on, they can renew their term um, but it's every 3 years and you have director positions that are faculty led that are rotating that are every 3 years and that you know you can end up with a good person who Who continues but the idea is that you should try to have some level of rotation um, just not only for the the idea shifting but to give people an opportunity to grow and develop Um, and so you know if i've been in one role for far too long then have i done enough to develop the people um, that i work with so that if and when i leave in the future someone else is ready to step up and fill the role the, the, uh, the mark of a good leader is that they have cultivated, they've empowered their people and they've cultivated a talent pool that can take over for them when they're gone. Uh, and unfortunately we actually don't see that happen all that often in organizations where they have really good succession planning. Um, Forward thinking organizations will do that. Um, it's, but it takes, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes, you know, long-term sustainable strategic thinking and frankly that's that's not the skill set that you know a lot of leaders really have especially when they're just trying to put out fires and and respond to all the day-to-day grind of you know what they need to take care of um and so we have to we have to force ourselves to do those things and to think about those things and when we're only surrounded by yes men um you know then we're limiting our ability to do that
1: yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, it used to be that university presidents would stay for 10, 15, 20 years as president of a university. Uh, now, of course, what we're seeing is that presidents shift much more. The The president world, university president world is becoming much more like the corporate world, where you do a stint here as president, then you go back into whatever business or law or politics or whatever, and you rotate out. Um, and I think in some ways that may compound the problem further because um, uh, the president stepping in, the new president doesn't have five, 10, 15 years of knowledge about the institution and they're often relying on um, VPs or provosts. Um, And certainly there is, the possibility that that the new president of a university would want his or her new people, and so there would be a clearing out. But I think there's also a a realization that um, no one can know every intricacy of a large institution, and so they kind of are relying on those people.
0: Uh, absolutely uh and and of course any organization can can have those struggles going through a transition period um a ceo in a company or a president at a university or a new president uh, politically within a uh uh, government context um there's always going to be challenges with that and there's always going to be challenges with succession planning um you know even in the best organizations but what we you already alluded to this what we should assume I think a healthy organization assumes that they're developing their people to grow and move on. And if, if you're stagnant and you, and nobody ever moves on and nobody ever shifts roles, um, then despite best intentions, you're going to end up having recycled thinking. I, I just don't know any other way around it. Right.
1: In in a reverse kind of re- reverse argument, if you will. Um, uh, When I used to be in, I've been in an associate dean twice in two different universities under two different deans. And the joke was, was that we really needed to let everyone in the university know what it was like to be dean for a day. Of course, we joked and said, you'd have to be dean for at least a month or two months before you really got it. But, you know, there is also, I think, within organizations, this uh, issue too, that if, There's never change in these key positions. No one actually below really understands what that position requires, the stresses, the requirements, and so forth. And so I think there's a, uh, in some ways, there's some need, right, to allow other people in the organizations to experience the responsibility, whether it's at the associate dean or the dean level, if we're in a university or in a corporation, because otherwise people begin to assume that it doesn't really take that much, there isn't much going on, and they don't really have any of the information or knowledge, right? Right. About about how the organization and structure works. So again, for me uh, as a university leader, it's good when people rotate through, right? Because uh, positions not you know over. We don't want a revolving door, but you certainly want people who understand how the organization works, right? So that they can help other people within the organization understand what some of the stressors are, or what the demands are, what the real budget is, so forth and so on.
0: Hopefully, you don't mind me saying this, but. I know when, uh, at our, our current university, when you were in uh, uh, an associate vice president role, I think you had the reputation of being kind of the disruptor in the room. Um, is that a fair characterization?
1: Yeah, and I, I think um, and I, I think, th- especially at our university, that was maybe appreciated to a certain degree because the dominant culture here in Utah does not normally do that. I'm not mm-hmm. originally from Utah. And so um, I, I thought being devil's advocate or at least raising the potential red flags was important for, you know, a discussion before we made a final decision. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's a fair characterization.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, that was seen as valuable. Um, but again, given the dominant culture here, not just in Utah, but, you know, at the university, um, you know, that does sometimes wear on people. And so it's, it's appreciated to an extent, and it kind of depends also whose point it is and who's trying to drive a certain initiative. You know, <laughs> some people are more, are more willing to accept the, the devil's advocate pushback than others. Um, so it's just interesting. And I know, I know you've had frustrations over the years, um, at times, you know, when, when uh, certain individuals perhaps weren't as open to robust discussion, I know I've, I've felt the same way at times. Um, and you know, I I think part of that's just the reality of reality of organizations. You're always going to have, you know, um, people not necessarily always understanding where each other's coming from the intentions. Uh, hopefully we can be generous with each other and assume best of intentions and that everyone wants a good outcome, you know, for the organization and for the people there. Uh, but that's not always the case actually there are there are egos involved, and sometimes people are just trying to protect themselves and sometimes people um, are willfully ignoring key facts or information that doesn't support their agenda because they would just want to push their agenda regardless of what what the information actually says so you know you have all these dynamics going on um, that create you know the politics of any organization and that's that's the soup that that uh, leaders get to wade through as they try to do their, their job.
1: Yeah, and I, I think kind of returning to Putin as our kind of, again, through conversation, um, uh, what you don't want to get to uh, is uh, the situation that we've just discussed, where you really don't have anyone you can turn to in a moment either of crisis or uh, in a moment of succession uh, to take over uh, You know, your company, your university, or in this case, Uh, your country. Um, And then I think uh, leaders really need to uh, have kind of a deep thought about if I were to leave, right, if I were to leave, is the organization really going to be served well um, by handing it over to, uh, you know, people who have more or less just simply agreed with me um, throughout the years um, and are you know are you comfortable doing that? I think in some cases leaders probably are. I think there's certain leaders that believe that they've groomed people. I think there's this concept right that they've groomed people, um, but I would argue that um, uh, grooming someone to think exactly the way you do is not necessarily again kind of disruptive or innovative thinking. Um, so uh, I'd like to run a, a red flag on that as well. Um, you'd like to think that it, when you hire from the outside again that you bring in that innovative. Thought, But I, I truly believe, and, and this is probably something that we'll continue to talk about within this sycophant culture, is how much can even one person at the top, a new person at the top, really change all the way down, right? A structure that is pretty much built uh, at with this kind of uh, vertical of power or, or you know, n- network of sycophancy, I would argue that this is exactly the problem with Russia right now, is there is no logical successor who could take over Russia right now and continue running it kind of as it's been running. Whoever takes over is going to have to destroy the vertical of power and the people underneath it and start to rebuild again, um, which for Russians who have lived through revolution after revolution, um, this is not a very attractive Uh, option. So, you know, similar, I guess, for companies, um, how disruptive do you want to be with your new leadership Uh, uh, or would you like to kind of uh, embed somewhere along the way, some people within the organization who might be able to step forward in a moment of change or crisis or disruption?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also thought I would mention, I I think we're probably getting a little short on time, but um, before we close up, I also wanted to mention the origins of us having this discussion I'd actually written an article about toxic leadership, um, which is a problem when you have bullies and uh, abusers in leadership positions who just feel like, you know, everyone needs to answer to them. Everyone has to do everything that they say. uh, And then they they emotionally and psychologically and sometimes even physically will be abusive towards their people. Uh, you know, that's obviously negative for a lot of reasons. So I had written an article like that and, and you were just commenting, yeah, that's a problem, but you know, there's also this huge problem of, of sycophants and you're absolutely right. And so as, as we were starting that dialogue, I guess you kind of see the, the, the two sides of the coin Um, you, you can see the abusers and the, the, uh, the jerks, the, the uh, toxic leaders Um, And often it's those same toxic leaders uh, who will surround themselves with sycophants um, because the sycophants are willing to take the abuse and keep coming back and keep stroking their ego. Um, And and so it's this vicious cycle where you you often will see a combination of of both of these negatives happening. And then that over time is just not sustainable uh, for a healthy organization. And to the point you've made several times today, um, you, you, what ends up happening is you put yourself in the position that there's no reasonable or likely successor to take over a CEO or president or whatever the role is. And now you're in a situation where anyone who's new is going to have to completely like burn it all down and rebuild it all. Um, which is incredibly disruptive, not disruptive in a good way, obviously. Um, and and painful. It, it has all sorts of harms on the people, the, the employees, um, uh, the workers, and the government, whatever, um, as well as the customers, the citizens. Uh, everyone shares pain when that's the approach. And so, we we want to avoid that whenever possible. Uh, but change is hard. Organizational change and culture shift, and getting the right people into the right positions, up and down the hierarchy. You know that that takes intentionality. That takes strategic thinking. And it takes time, and it—that's it, not something you just, you know, snap your fingers and all of a sudden have have um, that new dynamic in place. And so, like, if to let's say Putin was listening to this podcast episode, <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Oh, they have a good point. I better do something about that." What <laughs> what would you suggest, and how, that he should do, and how long would it take for him to do it? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's a really. Uh, vexing question, and it certainly is the question that the Russians are facing now i 've had many conversations with my friends, uh, some of whom uh, are anti putin folks living in russia and One of the questions I always ask them is, how does this end without blood right how how does How is there change in russia without um, without some kind of you know uh, battles in the streets uh, so forth and so on. And, and most of the reaction is, is that it doesn't end without blood. And I think Putin probably knows that he's painted himself into a corner. corner. Um, so um, if he were to ask uh, me, uh, you know, what, uh, what change uh, might he affect? Um, I would say, uh, even if he were to stay on as president for a fifth term, um, why not have a presidential transition committee started? Um, not just of the people who are beholden to him or need him to stay in power, um, but uh, a, a transition team of people who uh, might not normally have voice. Uh, in uh, the Russian government, at least the way it's organized by Putin, and see if there isn't a peaceful way to create transition where in some ways some things are dismantled. Clearly, the vertical of power and the sycophant culture is dismantled to a certain degree, but it ha- doesn't have to be a violent dismantling and an immediate mis- dismantling. Uh, I think the Russian people deserve that uh, uh, rather than waiting for someone within Putin's vertical of power to gain enough kind of internal oppositional forces to overthrow and then create uh, either, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, Putin himself is replaced by another Putin, or as we've talked about, the whole structure has to be destroyed and rebuilt. Um, Would that happen? I kind of doubt it. But uh, I think that would be a really uh, much more uh, um, um, desired outcome. Right, if there was a smooth transition of power.
0: Well, Fred, uh, it is it has been a, a really interesting conversation. Again, this is often not um, the exact context of the discussions that I have, uh, you know, on this podcast. But I think it's it's relevant, it's timely, not only because of geopolitics and and, and the Russia problem, but domestically, you know, the politics here at home. I think a lot, we have similar things happening. Um, in the U.S. context, and there are definitely applications into organizational leadership, regardless of whether you're talking about for-profit, nonprofit, uh, higher ed, government, whatever. Um, we see a lot of these same things playing out in, in different types of organizations. Um, so, you know, for listeners, you want to be thinking about, you know, do you see any of these um, signals? Do you see any of these characteristics in leaders within your organization? Are, do you, do you, if you're a leader, do you um, see yourself doing any of these things, even if unintentionally? Um, and start now to counteract those effects. Um, uh, because while it may it may s- secure things in the short term, uh, in the long term, it, it's not sustainable. Uh, and it's, not, it's certainly not healthy. So uh, with that, uh, Fred, I, I'll give you the final word. Anything else you want to share before we close?
1: I I think just what you alluded to, but what we keep finding the more and more we talk is that often the macro and the micro uh, act in exactly the same way. So what seems abstract talking about Putin and 20, 30 years of Putin's reign in Russia really does have applicability, I think, to organizations in your own community, Um, because leadership styles and the people you hire into organizations um, are is it's you ubiquitous, rather, whether you're running a country or what, running a small business. So uh, I, I would like to think that we could have these conversations more and more um, across disciplines like this and that each would benefit from it.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you again so much for, for joining me on this discussion. Uh, and good to see you, my friend, and I hope you have a wonderful week.